Garfield et Jeffer What's up, faders? Welcome to yet another action-packed episode of Got Fitted Japan. I am your host, Johnny, and this is episode number 496. And as you fine folks know, Got Fitted Japan is about two dudes, booze, Japan, and the news. And actually, we don't, there's no booze. Uh, there's only one dude here in the studio, and uh, yeah, we, we do kind of have news, but uh, yeah, today it's a very, very special episode because today we're here with a world-famous and amazing comedian, Ardell O'Hannon. Ardell, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure, Johnny. I can't believe I'm, I'm only 496th on your list, though. I, I know. I, I wanted to wait a little bit and get you on 500. <laughs> that would be so cool, but, <laughs> you know. I'll you, come back. I'll come back for 500 as well. Oh, we would like that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> oh, man. So I know you're super busy, so I'm just going to start the interview with some questions, and I'm just going to kind of jump sure. around. Um, let's see, you're going to come to Japan and you're going to play at the world famous Good Heavens British Bar on January 23rd, 2020. And uh, first off, welcome to Japan and how excited are you to be coming here? I'm hugely excited. I love Japan. I'm, I don't know much about it. I'm fascinated by it. I've been there a couple of times uh, just in the Tokyo area, but I've never actually got out and about much. So I'm really looking forward to doing that this time. Oh, that's cool. Do you know where you want to like visit, like uh, shrines, temples, restaurants? Yeah, I want to visit restaurants mainly. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good ones. Because uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, but I, I, I did manage to get to a sumo tournament a few oh. years ago. That was that was the highlight of my uh, of my trip, my last trip. And then I, I did um, drop by for the World Cup quarterfinal, Ireland, New Zealand, just oh, cool. there a couple of months back. <laughs> Um, but that was that's all that was all a blur that weekend. <laughs> Preaching to the choir. I've been here for almost twenty years, and the whole time is pretty much a blur. Uh, there's a lot of sake here. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Yeah, so, hot or cold? That's that's the question, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh, sake. <laughs> sake, hot or cold? You know what? In the winter, I like it hot, and in the summer, I like it ice cold. How about yourself? Yeah. Ah, okay. Good tip. I, I like it hot. I like it hot year round. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll take my cues from you guys out there, to be honest. I'll do whatever I'm told. Oh, awesome. Awesome. That's great. Oh, man, I had a little bit too much sake last night. Oh, my gosh. It's like the end of the year. So they have all these um, these end of the year parties and it's just beer, sake, shochu, left and right. Oh, God. I'm, I'm so glad I'm doing this interview with you so I can kind of avoid one tonight, <laughs> recover for a day. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we all, we all need that. I know. We, we are in, in the height of the Christmas season. I've just been touring pretty much all year. So I just came off tour in the UK there um, just last weekend. So it's uh, I've, I've been 
doing quite a lot of catching up myself over the last few days. So a bit croaky. Oh, no, you sound great. You sound fantastic. Right now you're on the tour of the, the Showing Off Must Go On, right? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. And when you come to Japan, are you going to be, is that going to be kind of like the Showing Off Must Go On in Tokyo or the Asia premiere? Yeah, I don't really know, to be honest with you. Like, um, the only time I played Tokyo before was about 15, 20 years ago. Um, I don't know if you know the Australian comedians, Adam Hills, uh, fantastic comedian, myself and himself. We kind of did a double header. We played in the Pizza Express in Tokyo over the course of three nights. And the audience was very mixed. And I guess it will be this time. Like, you know, you have, you, a lot of Americans, a lot of British, a lot of Irish, Australians, mm-hmm. Europeans, you know, and a few Japanese as well. And And, and I guess it's going to be something similar. So... I'm not sure if I will stick like absolutely, you know, religiously to the showing must go on sort of show that I've been doing for the last year in Ireland and the UK, because, you know, that does touch a little on British politics and on sort of Irish you, you, you know, stuff that's going on at home. And, and um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I might have to internationalize my, my set a little bit. And, um, and so I don't really know. You kind of figure it out very quickly, though, when you get on stage as to, as to you know, who your audience are and, and sort of what references they get and, you know, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, my stuff is pretty universal anyway. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's stuff that I think everyone can relate to wherever they are. You know, you know, you can't go too far wrong with sex, relationships, <laughs> politics, uh, you know, navigating the 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 fjords of modern life you know so um yeah i know i'm i'm really i'm i'm really excited about it like i i'm i'm loving stand up more than ever um it's something i've always done for the last i don't know how many years decades i don't want to think about it johnny um but it's something that i i kind of relish uh you know every time you get on stage you know it's like it's like it's the first time you're ever doing it to be honest I think regarding the audience, it's going to be a whole lot of everybody. So if you, I mean, you just do what you do and you're going to be fine, man. Your comedy is awesome. Oh, that's really kind. I mean, you know, like uh, I, I've always wanted my stuff to work abroad because that's one of the one of the attractions of comedy um, is that all these places have cropped up over the years. You can literally play anywhere in the world now. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that keeps me really interested in the whole medium. Like, you know, I do other stuff as well. I act, but I always come back to stand-up. It's always like the, the absolute default for me, you know, because I, I, I love it. And I love the opportunities it gives you. I mean, you know, 20 years ago, you couldn't really have played Tokyo. You couldn't have played, like, in Russia. You know, I've done gigs in Moscow and Estonia, all over Scandinavia, you know, where, where English is 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 spoken by a lot of people. They, they understand it perfectly. You don't have to change a thing. You don't have to skip a beat. You know, you can play anywhere in the world now. And and uh, there's a real craving for it for English language comedy, you know. And uh, 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 yeah, I, I, I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, man. Okay, well, well, let's touch up a little bit about that. Like, you started you started comedy in, like, the early 1990s when comedy was, like, really, really massive with, like, such legends as Andrew Dice Clay, Roseanne, Jim Carrey. How was the scene in Ireland at that time? It was non-existent. Non-existent. Wow. Um, absolutely. So I grew up in, a, you know, uh, uh a comedian was someone who wore a tuxedo and told jokes like old jokes about mother-in-laws and, you know, uh, did, jo- you know, did jokes in, in a kind of a cabaret setting. You'd have a singer, you'd have a comedian coming on doing like really old cliche jokes and stuff like that. So the kind of comedians I watched when I was a teenager were were VHSs. Uh, remember them of Steve Martin, mm-hmm. 
of Richard Pryor, of Eddie Murphy, of Robin Williams. I mean, there was literally about four uh, such kind of shows in existence. So you watch them maybe 20 times. So that, that was the only sort of exposure to this type of comedy. You know, going further back, you'd watch things like Laurel and Hardy. You'd watch the great sitcoms on British TV, like Faulty Towers uh, and stuff like that. But in terms of stand-up, they were the first kind of stand-ups I was ever exposed to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I was captivated by the whole thing. And then very quickly, kind of, we, we came across these British comedians. People like Eddie Izzard were starting to make waves. And you'd see fellas like Jack D as well. You know, really, you know, biting satirical comedians, uh, some surreal comedians. So, you know, once you start doing it, then dipping your toe in the water and go, and I suppose going to Edinburgh Festival was always a big thing. It's the biggest international arts festival in the world. Mm-hmm. Definitely the biggest comedy fringe festival in the world where you suddenly you encounter all these guys, same age as you, look like you, dress like you. Uh, but they're coming from America, they're coming from Canada. Uh, coming from Australia and all over Britain and, you know, some of the Irish guys and, uh, you know, and suddenly you're exposed to this fantastic, rich, varied world of comedy. Everyone's telling their stories and, you know, that just gives you the, I don't know, the drive to go ahead and do it, you know, and 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 like I very quickly moved to London and, and that's where it sort of started to happen for me. There was a fantastic comedy scene in London in the 90s and, you know, suddenly I, I, I realized, you know, there's actually a career in this if you want it. That's awesome. Is that where you started the, the Comedy Cellar? Or is that in Dublin? Was it the International yeah. Cup? Co- that, that was, was it? in Dublin. Well, that was in Dublin. So, so yeah, what happened was, so um, I, I went to university, but I did a kind of, a, you know, a, a bog standard arts course in media and communication. We just, we just watch Westerns all the time, as far as I can remember. And, Good and it was there that I met. Yeah, yeah. And it was there that I met two two guys, Barry Murphy, Kevin Gildee, uh, who are both comedians today. And we set up a little sketch group. Um, we just started, like, just, just arsing around, really, just writing comedy sketches, stuff that made us laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to do debates and things like that at college. Uh, and then afterwards, we just said, like, you know, we just said we're going to be comedians. And it was crazy. And it was it was wildly ambitious and, and, you know, out of our comfort zone. And no one could really believe it. Because as I said, there was no scene in Dublin. So we just went into this pub one day and we just said, can we borrow that room on a Wednesday night? And we just just set it up we didn't have a clue what we were doing and we just set up this little comedy club and you know out of the woodwork came a few other like-minded people um and before you knew it we had a little comedy scene in dublin uh it was really interesting like it was it it was all very surreal you know it was Mm -hmm. a particular type of comedy grew up which was really nice and it's still to this day it's kind of associated with irish comedy you know it's kind of surreal it's kind of wordy people love playing around with words and uh it's kind of very friendly. It's very, it's very kind of, I don't know. It's very open. You know, it's not like it's not all about putting down people in the audience, or it's not very aggressive or anything. It's just really kind of charming and fun, you know. And mm-hmm. I suppose observational. Uh, and you know, that's kind of the scene that grew up. And over time, it changes, and more people join in, and you know, more types of comedians get involved. But that was the roots of it. That was the roots of like sort of what you might call modern comedy in in, in Dublin. Um. But it's a small scene, you know, so you have to think about London, you know, uh, you know, it was always in the back of our minds. Like, if we're going to make a go of this, you, you got to got to cross the water. Wow, that's that's awesome. That's that's really great. Man, like, your comedy is really clean. 
Like, I mean, you you do you're you're not nasty. You don't you don't get too dirty or anything like that. It's really clean and it's really smart and witty. Is that kind of like how the comedy scene was back then? It, it was, you know. I mean, like, <clears throat> I mean, it's not not really it's not really a deliberate choice or anything. Well, it kind of is. I mean, in some ways, like, you know, sometimes it's dirtier than others. You know, uh, uh, but a lot of the comedians I started with, like, just had this thing of like, like let's just be really funny and 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 purist like you know it was more about the joke itself rather than you know there was there was never an, uh, there was never really a tendency in irish comedy to be offensive or, or or anything else but i mean as you as you say like you know we do try and be smart and clever with it so you were actually saying some pretty strong things if you like mm-hmm. but with this air of innocence about it do you know what i mean yeah uh um, uh you know i always think it's quite adult my comedy but it's it's just it's just that you kind of you know, it's not that I don't use bad language or, or you know, you know, don't offend people. I'm sure lots of people are offended by what I say. Especially it's your more, family. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And I haven't told them I, I do comedy, to be honest with you. And my parents still don't know. So hopefully they won't hear this podcast. Um, Wait, I, I, that was going to be no, one of my questions. Like your, your dad's a politician, your mother's a doctor or something. How did you so you didn't tell them at all that you're do, they must know that you're in entertainment. Yeah, they were they were utterly shocked. I mean, they still can't fully grasp. I mean, they do come to my shows now and they do like like my shows, I think. But they're still, you know, they're a little bit shocked sometimes by by, by some of the stuff I do, you know, uh, even though it's not gratuitously offensive. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it was tough for them. Like, um, you know, they just never saw it coming. Um, You know, I didn't really see it coming, um, but it's just something they've had to get used to over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a little uncomfortable. And as you say, my dad was in politics. He was a well-known politician in Ireland, and Ireland's a small society. So that was really another good reason for getting out of there and, and going to London, where you know there wasn't going to be that association. You know, where I, I wasn't going to embarrass him, and where you know I'd lose all credibility as a comedian if, if your father was a, a conservative politician. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, going to London where nobody knew me or nobody knew my association with him um, I was able to just you know carry on just doing my thing and and you know getting a little bit of notice along the way wow that's cool yeah that's why I came to Japan (laughs) (laughs) nobody knows anything about me except for all the stuff I say in this podcast for over 496 episodes oh man um, how difficult was it to uh, break into comedy and uh, the movies when you were in London? Um, <clears throat> well, I think I was kind of lucky. You know, what was really interesting was, so I'd spent five or six years with my friends in Dublin, small little scene, uh, working away at the comedy, you know, and we didn't know if we were any good, really. Um, but we knew we made each other laugh. We made our small little audience laugh. <laughs> Uh, and definitely I felt I was ready for London when I went over there. And what I learned when I got there was that because we were working away in our own little bubble, mm-hmm. we were a bit, you know, we were a bit different when we got to London. So, so I was a bit of a novelty. Like I got off the ground pretty quickly when I got there, like in the first few months, I'd won a few competitions, uh, comedy, you know, just stand up comedy competitions. And, um, suddenly I was getting a lot of attention and, you know, being offered like di- different kinds of jobs that I, you know, I really wasn't expecting. But uh, mo- the mo- most important thing was that I, I think I, I, I was a bit different than the other comedians that were there who were all, you know, who, who, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't mean like <clears throat> I'm really special. I'm just thinking along the lines of like, you know, you end up 
of doing this material, you know, um, not covering the same subjects or exactly the same subjects as the guy in, you know, as your equivalent in London is doing because he's been there for five years and he's he's been influenced by everybody else. So it was coming with this kind of freshness, this kind of originality. So you were able to slightly stand out, um, you know, uh, so that really helped me get off the ground. Thing. Um, but after a while, you know, you just have to be you just have to keep at it and, you know, you know, the whole reason for doing comedy in the first place for a lot of people, like me included, was that, you know, it was just a kind of a cool way to live. Um, there was you weren't really thinking about the prize at the end of it all because there wasn't a really obvious career path or anything. You know, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't great money involved. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a route to TV involved, you know, so you were just mm. kind of doing it to pass the time and kind of cool and. You know, I, I was always very attracted to that bohemian lifestyle. You know, you just hang about, you know, do comedy once a week or twice a week or whatever. And you just get by, you know. But what you realize quickly is if you want to actually make a splash, then you have to work very hard and you have to write loads of jokes and you have to, uh, you know, get on the road and, 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 and work five, six nights a week. So it becomes a really hard, hard old job, a hard old slog. But, you know, it becomes very rewarding as well. So, you know, yeah. It, 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 it worked out pretty well for me in London. And then, you know, to answer the second part of your question, sort of TV came knocking then, and I ended up sort of getting asked to do this sitcom Father Ted. You know, quick, pretty much in the first year I went to London, I was asked to do this jo- job. And I don't know if you know the sitcom, but it, be, it, it became a really big sitcom in, in Britain and Ireland. And, you know, it, yeah, it, it sort of opened a lot. Okay. How difficult was it to juggle both stand-up and uh, movies? Yeah, well, it was like... Uh, <clears throat> It was fine for the first few years. Like, I, I kind of left it late. Like, I was 28 when I went to London. So, you know, and I've been going from doing, like, so little, it's unbelievable, to suddenly being really busy. So I, I guess I was making up for lost time. So I was really happy to do the sitcom, um, you know, during the week. And, 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 like, you know, you'd rehearse during the day, and then you'd go out and do a gig at night, uh, a stand-up gig at night, and then you'd back in for rehearsal the next morning. And... You know, so I, I, but I was enjoying that. Like I was, you know, from as I say, from doing really nothing in Dublin for five or six years to being suddenly really busy. I felt great. It was a great thrill, you know, to be part of that whole thing. Um, so, so, so I always tried to juggle it. Certainly for the first few years, until until I almost burned out. You know, like I, I you know, I was doing every show that I was offered, and you know, it, it didn't matter if it was a shitty little gig like in front of twenty people, or you know, a, you know, a theater gig in front of a thousand people. I was I was doing them all, and. You know, and, and and this sitcom was getting a lot of attention. It was, a, it, you know, it's a really good sitcom. It still stands up 20 years later, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, no, I mean, those first few years in London were just such a such a thrill. I couldn't believe it was happening to me, you know. Uh, so, 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 yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, no I, your comedy is awesome and your acting's really good, too. Um your comedy, like I've seen, I, I think I've seen three of your specials, <clears throat> and you look so comfortable on stage doing like an hour set. Like I, I can't even imagine doing like an hour set. Doing an hour podcast is hard enough, right? <laughs> and and when you're up there, you you just kill it, man. You just tell joke, 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 story, point of view, story, joke, 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 story, 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 point of view, story, joke, joke, joke. You know, and you're just going from one to the other, and they they're all synced together just. So so well, how long does it take for you to write an an hour special? Um, it takes me a very long time. I mean, you've made it sound like I can do this easily. I can't. I mean, you know, I am slow. Like, I it takes me forever to write a show. Um, you know, partly that's my own fault because I'm, you know, I'm a bit like 
I want it to be perfect before I do it. So I keep I keep changing it and keep dropping bits and adding bits and dropping it and trying it out and dropping it and, you know, refining it as I go along. So it takes me a long time to come up with a show that I'm actually happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you, you very kindly said that I, I look I look relaxed on stage. Uh, you know, off stage before I go on, I'm the least relaxed person on the planet. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I was the worst i was terrible now i'm much better now like like on the last five or ten years funny enough i've actually turned a corner but like when i started out for the first 20 years of my stand-up career um i was i was a wreck i was a wreck for the five six hours before going on stage i was pacing and puking and <laughs> i couldn't eat couldn't speak to anyone it's good for the diet on anything else yeah, it really is. You know, honestly, you've no idea. I mean, I am the most regular person in the world as a result. But um, I, uh, uh, yeah, it took me a long time to get over that those nerves. I mean, as soon as you get on stage, it goes away. But and no matter, you know, no matter how good a show you had the night before, the next night it's still the same old thing again. Oh. So I've I've got over that over the years. I, I'm much better. Um, I'm much better than I was. I actually, you know, I'm, I, I am more relaxed on stage and more relaxed beforehand as well. So you know. I, I enjoy it more now. That's awesome. Well, that's good to hear. In in 2015, you launched the Sky Cat Laughs Comedy Festival. Could you tell us about that? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, the Cat Laughs Festival is Ireland's biggest comedy festival. It is in the city of Kilkenny in Ireland. And that is one of the best festivals that you could ever, ever get. If you were, if you were ever in Ireland, in, in, in you know, that weekend, beginning of June, end of May... Um, it's an amazing festival, and the reason why it's so amazing is they program it in such a way that you have mixed bills. Mm-hmm. So you will have an Irish guy, and a British guy, and an American guy on the same bill, and they will be the best comedians you've ever seen. It will be people like Chappelle. It will be, you know, um, uh, household names from from Britain and America. And you know, they're they're seduced to come to Ireland. I don't know how they get them over. You know, because sometimes there are people who are bubbling under, so they're not like the very very top. Although they've had Bill Murray at that festival. Bill Murray Uh, Bill Murray came to that festival and the way they sold it to him was hey you get to play golf with your brothers so bring your brothers (laughs) come and play golf and come and do a show and he did and um, and since then I I guess because they got Bill Murray that first year they were able to get other comedians of that you know caliber to come over the over the years so we've always had the really cool American comedians come to that festival um, and then you've all, you know, and you get all the great British comedians to come over as well. And it's such a small town as well, Kilkenny. So everyone's like together all the time. You know, there's only a handful of bars and venues, you know, so it's very concentrated. So that's one of the coolest festivals in the world. And uh, nothing to do with me, by the way. I mean, I may have launched it, but just that would have been just, you know, um, turning up. It, it, it's other people who run it and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, it's a fantastic festival. Yeah, highly recommend it. For you, which is easier? Which do you prefer, the the big stage or the small clubs? I I don't really have a preference. Um, like this tour that I'm doing at the moment, <clears throat> you know, I'm playing really nice theaters. Uh, you know, not not huge arenas or anything. That is really not my area. But uh, uh, nice proper sized theaters. You know, 500, 600, 700 people, a thousand people, or whatever. Um, but in preparing for that um, sort of theater tour. I do a lot of dropping into clubs, mostly in Dublin, because I, I'm based here. Um, and, you know, so I'm playing to 40, 50 people in small little clubs. And I love that. I love that kind of intimacy that you get there. Uh, you learn a lot about your material in those little environments. Um, you get great feedback, which you may not get in a theatre, you know, um, 
to the same extent, you know, you, you know, more banter. So, yeah, I'm very comfortable in, in, in both environments, really. Uh, the kind of ones I don't really like is, um, you know, where it's it's very messy and drunken and things like that. I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything for anyone in that environment. You know, it's it's just not it's not something I want to play. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a book and the book is the talk of the town. And it was featured in yeah. actually it was labeled one of the one of the books in the most 100 well, 1001 books that you have to read before you die. Can you tell us about this book? Yeah. I mean, I got to I got to read this book now because I mean, I don't know when I'm going to die, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest with you, like, I don't know how people come up with these lists, but I was in Baltimore uh, a few years ago. I was doing a show and um, this friend of mine got really excited. He had been in a bookshop in Baltimore. He, he, we were traveling together. He's a famous comedian called Tommy Tiernan. And we were we were traveling and working together in America. And he came to me just before the show that we were doing. And he said he'd just been in a bookshop and he'd been browsing through a book called A Thousand and One Novels to Read Before You Die. And he saw my novel in it. And, he, and he, so he bought the book and he, and he gave it to me. And I could not believe it because, you know, I wrote a novel, whatever it was, 25 years ago, which, you know, was a labor of love and it was a coming of age story about growing up in a small town. And, you know, it was fiction and, you know, it was very violent. You know, the theme was very violent in it. Um, but it was kind of based on news that I was familiar with at the time. And, you know, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, I think it's quite a funny novel. It's a very dark comedy novel. But the fact that it was featured in this book just made my day. It was it was validation for all the hard work I put into it. It was it was such a thrill. But, um, yeah, it was something I, I always thought I was going to write. You know, I, I didn't know about performing. Um, you know, when I when I left school, I always had this hankering to be a writer, to be a novelist because um, I spent a lot of my childhood buried in novels. And, um, you know, so first opportunity, sort of first break I got from like the stand up, you know, TV thing. I took a year out and I wrote this novel that was always bubbling away inside me. And uh, I put it down on paper. And, you know, I, there's time, I don't even remember writing it sometimes. I was so engrossed in it in a way that I have never been engrossed in anything probably since. Um, and uh, I was so glad to get it out there, but I have never been able to get back to novel writing. I, I partly because I just love stand up and and you know TV stuff, um, but also because it's really hard is is the main reason probably. Yeah, well, man, you seem like a jack of all trades: movies, TV shows, stand up, writing, organizing festivals, or what? What's next? Uh, I don't know. Um, I never really know, to be honest with you. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but, you know, I am getting old. Um, I, you know, I, I, I kind of never, I'm not great at planning. Uh, so I kind of, you know, the stand-up is always there, and it's something I always do and like doing. Uh, but in terms of TV or other stuff, I never really know what's around the corner. You know, you kind of hope something will turn up, but mm-hmm. you never really know for sure. Um, so I'm kind of, uh, so I'm doing this little Asia tour, uh, which includes Tokyo in January. And then sort of February, March, I'm back in the UK, sort of finishing off my, uh, the Showing Off Must Go On tour. And then sort of come mid-March, I really don't know. Um, I, 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 I can't wait to find out, but I, I really don't know. That's exciting, though. It's part of life. What's going to yeah, happen tomorrow? I don't know. Part of it. <laughs> It's always been a huge part of my career. You never know. There's been years where it's gone really quiet and you kind of, oh, okay. So you just get back to the drawing board, you know, and but you never really know. And, and that is part of the excitement. It's also part of the, you know, you know, the stress of it all. But, you know, there you go. 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Oh, man. So what if like a movie came up, right? And you've done so many different kinds of movies. You, I mean, you've done comedies and you've done real serious movies. Like Twice Shy is a very serious movie, right? Oh, yeah. And very serious. Yeah. What about something different? Like, what about action? What about like maybe, I don't know, Commando <laughs> 2 or something? <laughs> yeah, I think that's me. But, you know, it's a hard sell. Like, because I'm associated with playing really stupid characters mainly uh, over the years, which I like doing and which comes easy enough. Um, yeah, I'd love to do some action stuff. I, I honestly, I think I should be I, Bond. I mean, you know, I'm waiting for that call. James Bond uh, hasn't it. come yet. You could do it. Yeah. Uh, I could do it. Of course I could do it. Uh, uh, you know, some period drama, you know, playing some, I don't know, evil landlord or something. I, I, yeah, you know, there's, there's I, yeah, I would love to. I would love, but it's not up to me. It's up to other people to offer me those roles. I, I you know, I, I, they don't, they don't, people don't see it. People, it's actually really odd. People in TV and film, they're actually really conservative at the end of the day. They kind of, you know, they, 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 they see in one thing. And they think, well, that's, you know, I just want them to do that one thing. You know what I mean? So it's always very hard to break out of that. Like once you become known for something and, you know, in my early career, I did play these really stupid characters and sitcoms. <laughs> and since then, it's like they are the type of roles I'm offered. So I've done theater, which really helps. It helps break that mold a bit. You get, you know, there are other opportunities in theater where you get to play more serious parts. And then through that, you know, people go, oh, OK, maybe you can do a bit of that and a bit of that. So the last few years, I've actually played a detective in a, in a BBC drama, like for the last four years. Nice. Which is, you know, not a very heavy drama, but it's a, it's a light kind of drama, tongue, kind of slightly tongue in cheek. But it's a, it is a proper detective show with, with murders and puzzles solved. Do you have a website? Um, no, not really. Um, I, I tried I to find your website. I was just like, Twitter. <laughs> it's the only thing that came up. I was like, this guy's got to have a website. He's he's huge. <laughs> no, I am I am the worst self promoter in the world. I mean, literally, I I I've avoided a website. I avoid. I mean, I, I mean, I do have a Twitter handle, but it's not really me. I I I my agent sort of sometimes puts stuff up on it, but I don't. Um, I've just I've this really weird thing. Like I do I do want people to know that I that I'm out there and that I do stuff, but I actually don't want to go about it myself. So I've avoided all social media, actually, um, up to this point in my life. And I think I'm happier as a result. Um, and I know it'd be good for me to be out there, you know, tweeting and, and, and whatnot. I actually did it for a week or two. I loved it. I totally get it. But it just takes up too much time. It would take up most of my life because, I'd, you know, I'd be on it all day long trying to come yeah. up with brilliant little witty remarks. So, <laughs> well, you got to be careful with Twitter. You can get in a lot of trouble with that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I fell out with friends. Even the week or two I was on it, I think I fell out with two or three friends over it, you know, just saying things that annoyed them. So, um, yeah, no, I, it wouldn't be for me. You know, uh, uh, I, you know, I, somehow or other, I managed to get by without it. So I, I, will, I will try and carry on like that. Okay, well, if you need a website, I know a guy. Okay, I'll talk to you in Tokyo. <laughs> I, I got a web guy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> He'll take care of you. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I got to tell you, I, I love so many of your jokes, but my two favorite jokes. I'm not going to give any punchline or anything like that. So, faders, all you people out there, you got to check on his specials or see him live or and see him live. Even better. But, um, yeah, the two, uh, the two jokes I love the most are the Hitler one and the model airplane one. Okay. Um, the, oh yeah, the Hitler story about the yes, yes, reading the yeah biography of Albert Speer. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. That's, yes, I haven't done, haven't done that for a long time now. But yes, maybe that could be that could be revived for Tokyo. Yeah, God, I haven't thought about that for so so long. I I I probably wouldn't even remember how to, how to do. It. Oh God, uh, dude, it's such therapy. a good joke. <laughs> oh, I, I can't. I don't want to say anything about it. I'm not a guy that gives away spoilers or anything or punchlines. But oh man, when I heard that joke, dude, I almost <laughs> oh. fell out of my chair. I was like, no, <laughs> it is so good, dude. I love it. I'm gonna to have to dig that one out now. Oh, dude, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, and the model airplane one—I I can't actually remember that one. It's the one with the, the, your brother's involved in it. <laughs> this is brilliant. Honestly, I have totally blanked those two two jokes out of my. This is brilliant. I have two new jokes now. People won't have heard them for five or five or ten years. This is brilliant. Okay, um, I'm gonna dig those. <laughs> you got it. Thank you. Dude, no, 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 no. Those jokes are hilarious, dude. They'll totally kill on stage in Tokyo. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anything related to family is always good. And both of those relate to family. Not saying that Hitler, you're related to Hitler or anything, but uh, it's part of the joke. It's related to my mother, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually true. (laughs) Is it true? Are you serious? No. It is. is It's so true. Very bizarre story, (laughs) but it's actually true. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, oh man, yeah, that's great. great. Okay, last 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 one. Okay. I I have a lot of bands and a lot of musicians, uh a lot of artists, a lot of interesting people who tour the world get come on my show and I always ask them about touring tips, you know? Cuz I mean, if you're living out of a suitcase and you're going from hotel to hotel or te- hotel, what can you give somebody that's listening that wants to follow your your path? What kind of tips can you give them in order for them to be more successful? Oh, I well, buy that, buy those, uh, um, uh, buy a little carton of porridge, um, so you don't have to get up for breakfast. That's I, I love that. You know, just you know, just something that you just pour boiling water into and you've got a ready-made breakfast. Uh, that 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 saves a lot of time in the mornings. Um, I don't really know. It's yeah, touring is so boring sometimes. Um, get the Scrabble app on your phone. Um, you know, touring is it's not all it's not all cocaine and hookers. I mean, really, you know, uh, uh, mostly it's playing Scrabble on your own in the hotel room on your phone with your little with your little porridge with your little bowl. <laughs> I'm painting a very grim, very sad picture here. Well, in Tokyo, uh, you have get rice, a job. So. Get, a proper, get a proper job. Get a proper job. Don't go on tour. Uh, sing, sing to yourself in the shower. Oh, man. Oh, geez. Yeah, I wish I could follow that. Oh, man. <laughs> Ardol, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, once again, Ardol is going to be in Japan on January 23rd. He's going to be performing at the Good Heavens Bar located in Shimokitazawa, Tokyo. And, um, yeah, you're going to perform. It's only a one-time show, right? Uh, I think it might be two nights, actually. I think um, I think it might be the 23rd and 24th, or maybe the 24th and 25th. I'm not quite sure, but I think it's two nights there. Oh, faders, mark your calendar. Oh, man, that's so fantastic. I'm definitely going to be hey. there. I'm definitely going to be there. It's going to be so much fun. Um, Ardell, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for your time. And faders, you know what to do. Find this guy. Check his shows out. Buy tickets, buy T-shirts, buy merch. Support this guy. He's a legend. Ardell, thank you so much. Yeah. Very good. Pleasure talking to you, Johnny. Thank you. If you're going to get your fade on, you got to get your fade on in style. And that's why I use Ghost Town Palmade. Ghost Town Palmade is the number one badass palmade, and I practice what I preach. 
when I leave this house, if I'm not wearing a hat, if I'm not wearing a lid, I'm wearing ghost town pomade in my hair. This stuff is amazing. It smells good, it looks good, and it feels good. Ghost town pomade, badass pomade. And let me tell you one thing, it comes in a lid. That's pretty badass. This whole world is so nerfed up these days. Everything is plastic and pink, but not ghost town pomade. This stuff is a man's pomade, and it is hardcore. It's so hardcore, it's from Oakland, California. Oakland, California, that's right. Ghost Town Pomade, get your bait on in style. Proper. Ladies and gentlemen, 2020 Vision, an evening of Tokyo's hottest underground bands, The Beat Jackers, Negative Zero, Dog, Space and Diablos, Pedestrianism, and myself, Adam Three, and God made its own Johnny, aka The Spill Inc., exhibiting artwork alongside a full lineup of talented artists. The entrance is free, so write this down. Better yet, don't forget, Saturday, January 25th, 2020, at Gamuso Asagaya, Tokyo, Japan. Mitsuya Liquors. Yo, what's up, faders? If you're in Asia, if you're in Japan, if you're in Tokyo, if you're in Asagaya, you better get down to... Mitsuya Liquors. That's right. For the most affordable prices in Japan, you can get over 300 different kinds of beer. That's right, over 300 different kinds of beer. And of course, they got all the shochu you need, all the sake you need, and of course, they got wine from California to Italy to France to New Zealand. They got it all. When I say they got it all, they really, seriously, got it all. There's no joke about that. So get down to Mitsuya Liquors. And if you go in there and you say, Got Fit of Japan, you will be more than welcome to go into their back room and drink those beers that you just purchased. That's right, Got Fit of Japan at Mitsuya Liquors. And three times a week, they have a sushi chef there. So get your sushi on, get your drink on, get your fade on, and come on down to Mitsuya Liquors, located comfortably in Asagaya. About five-minute walk from the station. Mitsuya Liquors. Yo, what's up, faders? Got Faded Japan has got a new sponsor. Our new sponsor is Gamuso Bar, located in Asagaya, Tokyo. If you're kicking it in Tokyo and you want to get your groove on, get your fade on, you better get your ass down to Gamuso. Gamuso is located in Asagaya. It's about 11 minutes from Shinjuku Station on the Chuo Line. Gamuso has weekly bands, weekly performances. And hell, if you got your own event and you want to hold it at Gamuso, we'd love to host you. So contact Gamuso at www.gamuso.com. That's www.gamuso.com. That's right. Gamuso has not only beers in the bottle, but beers on tap. We've got every drink you want, so come on down to Gamuso. Gamuso, and if I'm working, tip me. Hey, yo, what's up, baiters? Johnny here. You know I love booze and news, but I also love art. So come on down to thespiltink.com and check my art out. I've got tons of stuff there for you to check out. And I've got paintings, I've got prints, I've got videos. And I tell you what, if you like a painting, I could probably sell it to you. And I tell you what, 
If I can't sell you that painting, I will definitely sell you a print. I've got prints of all my work. Prints are about 2,000 N each, about 20 bucks, but if you buy two, you get the third one for free. So come on down to thespiltink.com. Yo, and on top of that, I'm looking for commissioned work. So if there's something that you want me to do, I can make it for you. Just check out my stuff and see if you like my style. And if you like my style, I can definitely paint you anything on canvas, paper, whatever. I've done it all. So come on down to thespiltink.com. That is T-H-E-S-P-I-L-T-I-N-K.com. Thespiltink.com. Proper. Great stuff. Love it. Yeah. Amazing. Is there a good comedy scene there in uh, Tokyo? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. When I first came to Japan, there wasn't anything. But um, in the last, like, eight years, the comedy scene here has just been blowing up. I mean, a lot of international people from all over the world have been coming out. And uh, the place where you're going to perform at, Good Heavens, is actually a really fantastic place. It's, it's very comfortable, fantastic beers, great atmosphere, amazing neighborhood. And they have comedy shows there all the time. Ah, oh, fab. Looking forward to it. Yeah, brilliant. <clears throat> oh, yeah, man. It's going to be really good. My little brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. I've got a government job to abuse and a lonely wife to fuck. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. How the pressure! I can't take it! I can't take it! I can't stand to it. <laughs> Are you sure I should do this, man? We're going freaky. Yeah. We came, we saw, we kicked his ass. Your move, creep. Oh, man, I will never forgive your ass for this shit. This is some fucked up repugnant shit. Ah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bold. <laughs> 